Hello, everybody, and welcome to episode number six of the Jason Juliet podcast. A couple of real big announcements, and I'll keep them short. I am finally on Apple Podcasts, and I am finally on Google Podcasts. Apple Podcasts, of course, formerly iTunes. You guys listen to podcasts on apps on your smartphones. This is another easy way, in addition to just going to my website and streaming it from there, you can also find me on these apps now. It's been a long time coming, but hey, I, I really I think it's going to do a lot of good stuff for the show, and I'm looking forward to gaining a lot of new fans through those avenues. So, uh Really glad to make that announcement, and with that, I'm going to jump right into the guest today. So the guest today is Gene McCalco. We actually met at Podcast Movements uh, 2018. That seems to be a common story I keep telling on here. Uh, a lot of great people came from that convention, but Gene was the one that I actually got to sit down and interview. So we only had about 25 minutes once everything was said and done, so this is a very short episode this week. But we did talk off air about possibly doing a longer one in person uh, at a later time because Gene is just a wealth of knowledge on NASA, on space. As I mentioned, pretty much anything above the ground, Gene can tell you some stuff about. So it was really just an absolute pleasure to, uh, to get to sit down and talk to him. And I, I want to extend a great big thank you to him for inviting me to do that because he was the one that had the time booked and he picked me to talk to. I didn't pick him. So I got to give him credit for that. Uh, thank you for that, Gene, and I look forward to possibly getting him on the show again soon. And with that said, this is the interview from Podcast Movements 2018 with the host of Talking Space, Gene McCalka. And we're live. We are here at Podcast Movements 2018, and I'm with Gene McCalka. How you doing? Hey there, Jason. What's going on? Not much. Uh, my name is Jason Juliet with the Jason Juliet Podcast, and I'm going to be taking lead here for hosting. I wanted to start out by thanking uh, TalkShoe. They're the ones that are hosting this entire thing. They've set up this entire table, and Heel Sound is the one that's done all of these microphones. So for those of you listening, we are set up at an amazing table here with these huge boom arms. We've got these beautiful microphones, and they're letting us broadcast this for free. It's a service they're providing here at Podcast Movements. Uh, 2018. So this is great, the fact that I get to talk to you. So I'd like to welcome you on and tell us a little bit about yourself, Gene. Well, uh, we do a podcast called Talking Space. We've been around now for about nine years. Uh, Talking Space is, as the name implies, we talk spaceflight. We, anything that is going above the Carmen line is our ballywick. Uh, we uh, talk not only about NASA programs, but also the commercial space sphere. Um, any international programs that are going on, that kind of thing. So uh, any really, really thing is, is uh, our ballywick. We go ahead and talk space policy. Yeah, space politics on occasion, um, but also the latest developments, and we try to go ahead and keep our audience surprised as to what, what's going on. So this is all things space. Exactly. All things space. Exactly. We've, we've been to... We've uh, been covering this thing now since, uh, as the, uh, the, since the shuttle program started folding. Uh, back uh, in 2009, and uh, we've gone through all the growing pains that have been going on lately with uh, with the uh, space program since since uh, shuttle. 
So uh, right. if, if you ever want to go ahead and, and learn a little bit about uh, what uh, what your space pro- program is up to, come on and, and visit us. Right, and, and that's something that's been a specific interest of mine for a long time. And it's somewhat uh, it's somewhat interesting, the story of how me and Gene met. So uh, they had these walks that they're doing here at Podcast Movement. So we're in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania right now, which, as you know, is a rich town with, uh, with history. And there's a man, Gary Leland, who runs a financial show, and he started organizing these walks around Philly. And so I showed up one morning with a NASA t-shirt on, and Gene walked right over to me. And he's like, hi, I'm Gene. I like NASA too. And we just started talking, and from there, it was just, we just instantly became friends and now have the opportunity to do this. So um, it, it was really fortunate to get to run into you, and I'm glad to have you on here. So, so tell me a little bit about the podcast. Where... When you're starting to try to develop content for this podcast, mm-hmm. do you lean towards news? Do you lean towards the history? Where do, uh, where do you set up your programming? A lot of our listeners go ahead and want to hear what's going on initially. So we are more of a current events-driven program. We do go ahead and go into the history sphere on occasion when required. Uh, but we are more a current events kind of, kind of driven program. So if people want to go ahead and learn what's going on with their program currently... Yeah, we're we're probably the, one of the first stops you want to make. So, so let's actually let's let's go down that avenue a little bit because I was actually fortunate enough to be able to go and take part in NASA's aeros- uh, community college aerospace program, right. uh, aerospace scholar program, last year in 2017. And part of that program was learning all this stuff about the history of NASA and then understanding where we're at now. Right. However, since 2017, I've sort of fallen off on my current events. So a lot's happened. Obviously, there's a new administration now that Donald Trump is in charge. He's appointed a new administrator of NASA. Right. And a lot of things have changed in the past year. So for those who don't know a lot about NASA or might not even be familiar, can you sum up the last 12 months or or something like that. I mean, can you give us a quick sort of state of NASA? Well, right now, uh, the the program, as I said, uh, as we talked before, is, is kind of in flux. Uh, we, but we're trying to get our act together a little bit better on the piloted side, side of the, the house. Uh, we do have three spacecraft that are in the pipeline right now that will eventually carry humans. Two of those spacecraft will be carrying human beings to, up to the International Space Station. Uh, and another vehicle called Orion, uh, that will be going to destinations in deep space. Currently, right. we are trying to go ahead and build what has been euphemistically called, it's, it's been, the name has been changed, but I still know it as the, uh, the Deep Space Gateway. It will essentially, it's not really an ISS in lunar orbit, but it's sort of a, a way station, if you will, uh, that will go ahead and still be able to conduct experiments and still house astronauts. But it's hoped, too, that you could go ahead and dock a, a lunar lander to this thing and, and basically have it be the way station for the lander. And, and correct me if I'm wrong, so for, for those of you who are unfamiliar with how all this stuff works, this is basically a craft that would be closer to the moon than it would to the Earth. It would That's stay out there. And Correct me if I'm wrong, but wouldn't that also be a mid, well, not a midway point, but a stop right before Mars? That's the whole point. What the, the, the moon, as we found out in, in the 1990s and forward on, is a lot of much more of a wetter place than we thought it was. Really? Yeah. I mean, the... the now, how so? Well, okay. The, the At first, we, we saw some you know, trace 
possibilities of lunar ice in, in the samples. Right, I or, remember, right. Or water of some sort. Now, we thought it was contamination possibly from Earth, so we just kind of left those, we just kind of left that insight on the shelf for a while. Then um, a program that was sponsored by the uh, U.S. military called Clementine went ahead and did a lunar orbit, and uh, lo and behold, it started finding, hey, there may be water here. Uh, the the further we looked with both, um, I believe, the uh, Lunar Reconnaissance Orbiter, which is still hard at work, uh, again, it, it looked like this this place is a lot more wetter. It looked like, too, that a comet had one po- at one point had impacted the uh, lunar south pole. So the idea is to go ahead and maybe land something in that vicinity, see if you could go ahead and use the hydrogen from that water as hydrogen fuel and synthesize hydrogen fuel from that area. So then this way, if you're going to go to Mars, you don't have to bring all of your fuel with you. You can synthesize it at the moon and then fill up your, your, the main craft and disembark from the, from the moon. And this is one of the biggest problems is trying to transport the weight of yes. all the fuel that it would take to get there. So if we could basically set up a gas station on the moon Pretty much. and then they can use the same sort of technology to make a gas station on Mars as well, because is that correct? Well, yeah. I mean, the the other di- idea too is to see if you could you could actually do that synthesizing process, and if you can, you could do it at, at Mars as well. You can send robotic craft ahead of you, and by the time you arrive, your fuel for the trip home is already synthesized and ready to go. Right. I think that's a that's might be one of the big things that the public doesn't realize is the astronauts are the last ones to get there. Like there's a ton of equipment going ahead of all of this stuff. Yeah, I mean the the latest things that I've looked at for for Mars anyway, uh, and and we're we're not talking anytime soon. I want to get that out there flat out. What are the current estimates? I think the last time I heard it was like 32. We're talking about somewhere in the 2030s. I mean, right. we, we had a conversation offline before coming over uh, that uh, we're, we, we just don't have the technology yet right. to go to Mars. Uh, but from the nearest estimates I've heard is about maybe another 10 years, we'll probably be ready. Okay. The other thing, too, about, about Mars is, in all honesty, we haven't gone inter- interplanetary with humans since the Apollo era ended in 1971. Right. So the moon, in my opinion, and this is something we've said on, on our program several times, uh, is a really good way station, we think, for learning how to go into planetary again, learning how to you know, cut our teeth again on some of the techniques we're going to need, cut our teeth with the spacecraft we're going to need. And if something goes wrong, I mean, you're you're three days away, right? From you know a burger and and your favorite malt beverage, you know. <laughs> you know. So if something goes wrong en route out to to Mars, you got a problem. That's it. Yeah. Um, there was one example, and and the astronaut's name right now really really escapes me, and I apologize. People are going to remember this story that that have listened to the show because we brought a, uh, listened to Talking Space because we brought it up a few times. One astronaut has indicated, okay, fine, you're up on the International Space Station, say, and your toilet breaks. Okay, you tell the folks on the ground, hey, the toilet isn't working. They'll go ahead and they'll send up parts, and you go ahead, you play, you know, intergalactic plumber, you, <laughs> and, and you put the, the parts together, and lo and behold, guess what? You're in business again. Right. Um, 
it's not that easy when you go out to Mars. If you're about six months out and that happens, well, congratulations, you've killed the crew. Right. And you've killed them in, in one of the most hideous manners that, that anybody can, can die. Yeah, I don't want to be, be pretty a, about it. That's not a press release anybody wants to write. Right, because <laughs> the idea is your water reclamation system on, on, on the ISS is critical for you know the toilet. Right. Um, if the toilet goes on a trip to Mars, you can't readily have the, have the repair parts, so and tell people, there goes your water, water supply. So tell people this. So a trip to the moon, as you just mentioned, three days, four days, mm-hmm. a trip to Mars, that we're is, talking 18 months out travel time? Well, round trip, yeah. Uh, but um, the, the idea with that is there are some new propulsion systems that are coming up that may cut that down to like maybe six, three to six weeks. Now, I have heard about these when I was doing my research last year, but I, from what I understood, they were still over two or three years from being produced, but but that was the goal, and they were going to significantly reduce the amount of time it took to get to Mars. What right. by like, I mean, it was going to be like 30% of the previous time or something like that. It was a drastic reduction, I believe. Right. There's a company called uh, Ad Astra that uh, former astronaut Dr. Franklin Chang Diaz runs. That's it. Uh, he is experimenting with an engine called VASMIR. I forget what the, the acronym stands for, uh, but... The Vasmir engine will have the potential to cut the trip down to about six weeks. Wow. So if if it's successful. So NASA's kind of interested in it, um, and they're, they're, hoping that, uh, they're hoping to see some success in that. There are some other individuals that don't think Vasmir is going to work. Um, yeah, Dr. Robert Zuberin among them. He's got his own you know, Martian roadmap and has been out there trying to go ahead and, and popularize that as well. So, I don't know. That so was one we'll of the, see. That was one of the things I found very fascinating when I was studying all this is that because the technology is still advancing, mm-hmm. we're not exactly sure, like, the exact blueprint of how, when, exactly the, the times, the exact technologies that we'll use. We're not sure yet because of how certain things may develop. There's still sort of competing views on the best way to put human beings on Mars and return them safely to Earth. That's correct. And, and to be honest with you, there's been some criticism of NASA uh, that okay, fine. You know, we're not gonna get to the. You know, we're we're, we're concentrating on the moon, and we're not gonna get to Mars. Not exactly. Uh, the new administrator, uh, uh, Jim Bridenstine, uh, has already unequivocally said that NASA's eyes have not left Mars. And uh, I, I will I will say, Bridenstine, so far in his uh, very short tenure as uh, as NASA administrator thus far, has been extraordinarily public in his uh, accessibility. He's always out there, he's always visible, and he's always been, you know, you know he's easy to, talk, to, to grab a hold and talk to. He's out there on social media, if you follow him, you know, he's at Jim Bridenstine. Um, That's actually a really good transition yeah. point because I, I, was, I wanted to ask you about policy too, because mm-hmm. I don't, I don't wanna have this uh, end before I get a chance to ask you some questions about STEM education. Yes. Uh, yesterday on the walk we had a really good conversation about some of the concerns that I had personally about the state of education in the United States of America, specifically when it comes to STEM, the way we're trying to teach STEM, and those obviously relate very closely to aerospace and you know NASA and everything else. And so I wanted to know about the policies that are going on right now that are encouraging more people to 
know about NASA, more people to understand the STEM fields, to gain a greater appreciation for NASA. Those are things that, that are important to me as a true space fan, you know, as, as not yeah. an expert, but a true fan. And you had some very encouraging things to say about those policies. And well, the good well the good news there is is back in I guess around uh, uh, the 2009 timeframe, NASA had learned how to use social media in a very big way. Um, Veronica McGregor out, out at the Jet Propulsion Laboratory in Pasadena, California, had uh, used Twitter for the Mars Phoenix lander, uh, which was a, a short-lived lander that we had uh, on, on on the surface of Mars. Right. And um, she basically started using Twitter in, in the lander's voice. She created the voice for the lander. Okay. And that kind of took off, no pun intended. Uh, <laughs> and it, it kind of introduced NASA to social media. Uh, they have been a champion in leveraging social media. They're on Facebook. They're on Twitter. They're on Instagram. They're, they're basically all over the place. They have their own pot, set of podcasts now. Right. Um, Michael Buffington, who's uh, head of the, uh, who's the host of the uh, Silicon Valley podcast, he's here. Uh, so and they're learning things, and they want to go ahead and also figure out what they want to do with all of this, as uh, you know, in, in, in from a from a social media standpoint, but also from a podcast standpoint. So they're they're really really trying to get hip deep into new media. To answer your question about the STEM end of things, uh, I had a very very enlightening conversation with a group of uh, uh, young men just up the road here from Drexel University. They are developing a new CubeSat. What a, for your audience, what a CubeSat is, it's, it's no bigger than a, than a bread box. Okay. And uh, this particular CubeSat will have electric or ion propulsion attached to it, and it is set up to go to Venus. And the cost of this thing, and for your listeners, this may sound a lot, like a lot of money, but the, cost, the estimated cost of this thing is about $10 million dollars. Planetary exploration for ten million dollars? Wow. Seriously, that is so dirt cheap. Yeah, so I mean, and compared right, to how much it costs to get to Mars, let right? Me put those two numbers next to each other, right? But again, I'm going to emphasize that this is a CubeSat. It's not a piloted thing, um, but it's Mars. I mean, um, excuse me, Venus is kind of off the, the the radar a little bit right now. And a lot of planetary scientists are saying, hey, maybe, you know, Magellan gave us a lot, but it also, also it gave us a lot of answers, but it also asked a lot of, a lot of questions. And we still have questions over there. We should put Venus back on, on, on the roadmap again. And because, again, Venus is, a, is an interesting place. It's the same size of the Earth. It's the same mass as the Earth. And it's, it had it, a similar atmosphere for a while, did it not? Before the runaway greenhouse. Well, we don't know that yet, but um, I believe I believe some kind of theorized it did. But the idea something happened to make the surface like nine hundred, you know, nine hundred degrees uh, Fahrenheit and have a runaway greenhouse effect. What happened there? We don't understand it fully yet, and we need to know more so we don't have the same problem here. So. This this particular um, CubeSat is you could fit it with uh, other experiments to go ahead and try to see if we can get further insight into those questions. And since it does have the electropropulsion system, you can dispose of it right in the atmosphere, just as we did with the Cassini mission um, to Saturn and so on, because you still have the planetary protection protocols to follow and all that. So, okay. Um, by that I mean, you know, if a place is 
might have life or if you don't want to contaminate the place, you want to go ahead and dispose of a spacecraft after it's done its, its thing, you know, so this way it's not just sitting there as a piece of space garbage, you want to dispose of it properly. And so they've kind of baked that in, into that too. That, that was one of the interesting things uh, that I remember learning is sterility. The fact that we cannot take microbes, viruses, anything small that could carry in or on a spacecraft, we can't take those to other planets because we right. don't want to infect the planet. Right. And the the lengths that they go to to sterilize these massive spaceships and these instruments that are going out is just, it's phenomenal if you ever get a chance to go online and look at how they do these things. I mean, it's right, quite uh, impressive, right, quite impressive. Right, NASA's got a whole office of planetary protection that sets up their own kind of protocols and let's folks understand that, you know, yeah, we, you can't just send something up there. So I tell you what, we just got the five minute warning. Tell me about these, these Earth, you said that the new director Jim, uh, Jim Bridenstine. Bridenstine. So he had put forth and pushed for some of these new policies to try and get these Earth studies done, terrestrial studies done. Tell me about these studies. Well, what happened was that there were, we had several um, Earth science missions that uh, were in the NASA budget at one point, and the president had decided the, to pull these these uh, these missions the out. The current president or the past the current, president? The current, current president? The current president had decided to pull these missions out, out of the budget. Um, Bridenstine was not initially a, you know, climate change guy. He was more of a, you know, he was more saying that we need to go ahead and take a look at this a little further. Yeah, but he didn't believe at one point that humans were, were in the loop. Um, after becoming NASA administrator, he talked to a lot of folks within the agency, and he had his you know moment of uh, his eureka moment, if you will, uh, after talking with a lot of uh, climate scientists out at the Goddard Space Flight Center, and said, "Yeah, maybe I'm wrong." Okay, and. Uh, what happened was essentially Congress basically put all of those earth science programs back into the budget. So there were about four or five satellites that were earth observational satellites that uh, uh, the current administration did not want to have. And uh, Congress said, eh, we think this is important. We think this, this is uh, something that is uh, that we need to do. And so they overrode the president's decision to go ahead and, and kill these programs. Wow. So, so those programs are still going forward? Yes, so, sir. So all me, four, all tell, five. Tell me a little bit about those programs. Uh, one is a follow-up to a program that is up there right now. Um, there was a, a satellite called OCO2 that was supposed to me measure uh, the, car the amount of carbon dioxide in the atmosphere. Okay. There was a follow-up called OCO3 that uh, w was essentially an experimental package, no bigger than, you know, I, I another guess again, bread no, box. another <laughs> bread box that could be easily bolted to the side of the International Space Station to go ahead and take measurements of, you know, the carbon that that might be within the uh, the atmosphere, you know, the, okay. uh, the, carbon, the carbon dioxide. Uh, that program... And, and all it really was was just a, a leftover instrument from the OCO2 program. Uh, that instrument um, was initially killed 
under the uh, under the, the first NASA budget that was submitted. Congress went ahead and took a look at that and said, yeah, no, we're, we're, we're going to go ahead and put all of them back in. We found the money for, for it, and we're putting, putting that one back in along with the others. And then that was one of the things I found very encouraging because, you know, you turn on the news and you look at all these different channels and there's just so much despair and, like, this isn't getting passed and we don't have money for this and we don't have money for that. And one of my biggest fears was America falling behind in science and technology development because right. I, I think the further back you look in history – any country that is leading the world in technology and in innovation, they, they, they lead the world in other ways as well because those technologies and innovations can be leveraged. And I worried about America falling behind. And uh, we're getting our two-minute warning here. <laughs> but, but I worried about that. And, and I was just really encouraged to talk to you yesterday about that to find out that, hey, you might not see this on the news, but there are people that are in Congress that are doing the right thing. There's people pushing for these programs. There's people that understand the value of education, the value of science, the value of, of, of putting, putting forward another generation of children that will grow up to be adults and have an appreciation and an understanding for science and technology. And I, I found that very encouraging. And I was, I was like, we, we need more people telling this story, that, that good things are happening and progress is, is starting to be made. So... So thank you so much for, for sharing that story. And before before we have to go, since we just got the warning, tell people about your podcast, where they can find you. Sure. Um, folks can find us on Talking Space at www.talkingspaceonline.com. Uh, we could be found on, on, uh, uh, on iTunes, pretty much anywhere you can find a podcast at this point. We're trying to get on, uh, you know, we're, we're uh, on several uh, outlets right now. We're probably going to be on more as we come out of here. But again, you can go, go to us directly, or if you have the Podbean player, we, we're, uh, we're, we've been using Podbean since, since uh, 2009 for our podcasts. So if you have that, you can go ahead and, down, and download us there too. But uh, again, just go, or you can just grab our RSS feed and, and uh, uh, it's up there on, uh, on the site. So again, uh, talkingspaceonline.com. Awesome. Well, it, it was great to run into you. I'm really glad that we got to do this. We'll, we'll have to do it again sometime when we have a little bit of uh, more time or sometime when I get up in your area. But, um, but this was great, man. Thank you so much for coming on and I, I really appreciate the message. I had a blast and um, I can't wait to go ahead and share this uh, particular uh, piece with my listeners as well. And uh, Jason, it was a lot of fun uh, talking with you, too. And uh, hopefully your listeners learned, learned a little bit, too, about space. Well, I know I did, so I hope they did, too. I'm sure they did. All right, man. The feeling's mutual. It was a pleasure. Gene McCulka, ladies and gentlemen, thanks for listening to the Jason Juliet Podcast. And I am signing off from Podcast Movements 2018 in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. We'll see you next time. All right, guys, that's it for this week. Thank you guys so much for joining me. I'd like to again extend a big thank you to Gene McCalka for coming on the show this week. Again, please head over to www.talkingspaceonline.com to find Gene's podcast, Talking Space. And please join me next time where I'll be joined by Dr. Brett Bennington. Dr. Bennington is the chairperson of the Department of Geology, Environment, and Sustainability at Hofstra University. And you want to talk about a smart guy. Uh, please join me next week to hear that conversation. Uh, just a, a really, it was an honor to be in his presence. So for that episode and more information on the podcast, you can head over to jasonjuliet.com. You can find me on Instagram at Jason J Podcast, Facebook at Jason J Podcast, and you can now find me on Apple Podcasts and Google Podcasts. So please join me next week, and until next time, I'll see you soon.